Hi, this is Dr. Matthew Hunter, and I took a left of the valley. Fantastic. And so should you. <laughs> <laughs> Had to throw that in. No problem. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. You just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims That's something to be ashamed I'm an Hiding amongst this show up under the kitchen sink, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and I'm not sure you'd want gay parents because it's either twice the dad jokes or an ending loop of go ask your mom. Very true. <laughs> but you're less likely to deal with divorced parents. That's true. <laughs> Joining me as usual is a team who would think the people that use the wrong word should have the humidity to admit it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> she found out Jehovah's Witnesses don't like being tickled. Too bad. Her doorsteps are rules. Nancy. Oh. <laughs> that a new pastime for you? I do, yeah. <laughs> and she recently joined a foot fetish group. She's hoping to find her soulmate, Christina. <laughs> hey, don't kink shame me, man. <laughs> no, I'm not. Never. Though I, I honestly hate feet. They're weird. <laughs> Especially my feet. My feet are misshapen. We're weird not things. going into that right now. Ladies, welcome back. It's good to be here. I hope you had a great week. It was decent. Decent? Just decent? I can't really remember well, everything that happened right now. We're going to make it better because today we have a returning guest it masochist. It always makes me better being here. Hector Garcia. Dr. Hector Garcia is coming back to talk about his book, his latest books, Sex, Power, and Partisanship, which I have right here. Yeah. How evolutionary science makes sense of a political divide. And very interesting read, by the way. I am yeah, very been excited. Yeah, we looking forward to that for a Absolutely. Long time. But first. Give me three favorite things to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> but first, let's do a little <laughs> chit chat. Now, did you guys hear that um, the uh, Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, is apparently going to appear in an episode of The Simpsons? Woo-hoo! I heard. I saw like the headline. I didn't read anything about it because I'm. I don't really watch The Simpsons, so it's not a huge deal for myself. Well, <laughs> no. I'm sure we'll see clips of it, whether we watch it or not. Yeah. Well, it, it's essentially the episode is entitled "Doe Canada." Uh, Justin Trudeau himself actually didn't voice the the oh. part, uh, but it was a, a journalist, uh, Lucas Meyer. So apparently it's an episode where Lisa is actually given political asylum by mistake oh by Ca- in Canada. So, <laughs> so that's good. That should be interesting to take a look at. Um, did you guys hear there's a Kenyan science teacher by the name of Peter Tabichi? He's 36 and he's in Pwani. And uh, he was given the annual teacher prize in $1 million. I did hear about this. The best teacher in the this. world. Yeah, most of his students are, of course, extremely poor in, in Kenya. And he donates 80% of his salary to help them. 80%. 80% of his salary. Wow. He is Which is probably not hero. big to begin with, right? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, this was uh, this was awarded by the... Um, oh, God, I can't even read my own writing. <laughs> Some foundation. <laughs> it's the largest of its kind. So, yeah, so good for him. You know, he's a science professor, and he's really trying to, 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 to uh, get his students to get involved and to go beyond mm-hmm. uh, in the matters of science. So good for him. That's so what what is amazing. the t-shirt I kind of missed he he's made a t-shirt or No no he's a teacher Oh, teacher. I'm no, saying no, not teacher. Teacher, teacher. Te- oh, okay. No, he's a science teacher. Ch- oh, okay. Yeah, so, so his, that's why he like he said he donates most of his salary for his students because they're poor, you know, and 
Well, good for him. That's a great yeah. example of a human being yeah. for sure. Yeah, especially someone who realizes the next generation is the future. Exactly, exactly. Uh, staying in Africa, did you guys hear there's a gang of poachers in South Africa They received 25 years each for killing endangered rhinos? I did, and they deserve it. There's a uh-huh. huge court case that went over for three years. The Neglolvlu gang, oh God, I might massacre this, were sentenced to 500 years for 55 counts of poaching. Which is wow. huge. Oh. You know, the police found $85,000 worth of rhino horns at their place. That's so, disgusting. Yeah. So this was uh, this was hailed as a great step uh, with uh, South Africa re- a renewed, uh, renewed crackdown on poaching. So yeah. hope for the species. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, last but certainly not least, uh, do you guys hear that scientists at Tel Aviv University have successfully printed a 3D heart? I didn't hear about using this. Using the patient's own cells. Wow. Now, the heart is made from human cells and uh, patient-specific biological materials. Now, the heart is not fully functional, and it's not actually full size yet. They kind of made a small replica. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it, it's a functional heart. It's got all the everything work kind of working. They, they do have some little problems, but it's a massive step for organ donations, obviously, an organ transplant. Um they, 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 they plan on soon actually having a full size, the same size human heart as the recipient. But apparently they also have to start teaching the heart how to mm-hmm. beat properly. Because yeah. apparently that's not innate. You can't just plug it in. It's just going to do it automatically. You, apparently mm-hmm. you have to teach it to do it. So that's, that's really interesting. You know, some days you just really want to have a crystal ball and look five and ten years in the future. This is one of those yeah, days. Yeah. You just want to be able to see... You know how how this evolves. I, I you know whenever I see stories like this, I don't know about you guys, but if I was like a rich man, like a rich philanthropist, and I see a story like that, I'd be on a jet to go see that team, and then you know talk to them, and then say, you know what, I'm funding your research for the next couple of years because this is very very interesting, and who cares where it goes, right? I mean, this is this is this is science at its best, mm-hmm. and I I don't know. Yeah. Especially in, the, in light of the story that we had last week about Notre Dame yeah. and how, how much money poured in right away. Why aren't they pouring money into this? Yeah. This is way better. Yeah. I think one thing a lot of people don't realize is that even if in your scientific advances, you don't necessarily get to the finishing point of what you wanted, the amount of scientific discoveries that have been made in totally irrelevant field, like fields that were not meaning to find that. Yep. Yeah. Is staggering. Like, like I think like glue or something. Like some I'm, there's so many things that were that were discovered by mistake. By mistake, exactly. And it's like there's no telling what scientific advances will come from any of these discoveries. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. One, one of my favorite uh, anecdotes about that is I can't remember the name, but uh, the, you know how your windshield when it when it gets hit, it kind of it doesn't explode. It just kind of fizzles mm-hmm. and cracks and all that that was invented by mistake as well seriously yeah they, basically a, a, a scientist whose name I forget uh, they were uh, working with polymers and he dropped his beaker and when he hit the floor it just fizzled like that too. it kind of cracked like <gasps> that too but didn't explode or shatter because of the coating inside yeah. and that, this is how it gave rise to why we have the windshield like this today that is so cool I, I know, know it's that. just amazing stuff right yeah so like there's so many things like that that it's just like accident science man science that's where it's at yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Perfect. Well, my dear Nancy, you got a top ten for us? I do, and it's nice to end on kind of a hopeful note of <laughs> science because t- today's uh, top ten. I was thinking 
because of politics and climate change, people are thinking the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Yeah, so you, always th- you always think about the worst. So I thought, hmm, I wonder whether or not it'd be interesting to talk about some post-apocalyptic apocalyptic movies. <gasps> oh, I'm so, so excited. I went, to, I went to see which ones of all time um, were, uh, were, were the best. And there was really no... Um, uh, agreement from one list to the other which apocalyptic yeah. movie was best. I mean, they all had um, the, the, the Mad Max and they all mm-hmm. had mm-hmm. Uh, Planet of the Apes, but no one could agree. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to leave the good old you know, um, classic <laughs> ones to everybody to figure out on their own because, you know, whatever yeah. one you pick, it's got to be the well, best. On and you also list. have subcategories like zombie post-apocalyptic, yeah. climate change post-apocalyptic. Yeah. <laughs> does it, so does it, does it that, say something about our species that we have a whole bunch of movies about the future being... Horrible? Post, yeah, a horrible future, but we have very few movies that really paint a really bright future. No. We, do who, we have any? Nobody Star wants to, Trek. Nobody <laughs> wants to watch those. They're I'm not... Well, they're, you know, I, they're, I don't think it's that nobody wants to watch them. I think it's that people don't think that's where we're headed. Uh, I don't know. Are we, little, are we negative as a species? I think yes. people you know, need something really <laughs> horrific to say, well, maybe it's not so bad where I'm at. Anyway, maybe, maybe. <laughs> so, so I decided rather than do the list on the... The good oldies, I'd uh, share with you some that are on Netflix okay. that are probably Ooh, easier yeah. to find. Netflix um, list. So, so here's Netflix. But I think you're right. I mean, the, the ones that are sunny and hopeful, you know, and you leave with, oh, that's so nice. They just don't help get out all of that anger. That yeah, but you can, have, you can have a bright, economic, positive future and still tell a very compelling story. Yeah, I'll have to look for some. It doesn't have to I'll be have like to, death and see. gloom and... <laughs> Okay, well, I'll, if we need a... I blame the Christians for this. That's right. If we really need to be uplifted, I'll find the hopeful <laughs> ones. Anyway, these are, these are you know, 10 to, uh, starting with number 10 and going down to the first. But I really don't think these need to, to be In any categorized. Order. Yeah, all yeah. right. So the first one is really interesting on Netflix, and it's called Godzilla. The Planet of the Monsters from 2017. I think that's an animated, isn't it? Yes. Um, well, it's Godzilla. It's, it, well, it's different than the other Godzilla movies. This one, um, I think it is uh, an, an action uh, animated one, but it has to do with um, a post-apocalyptic world where most of humanity has left mm-hmm. because the Earth is hmm. ruled by the leader of the Godzilla force, Cadgeus. <laughs> C cool. K A I G U S, and then it has Kaijus. to do with some some yeah some refugees that come back to restore faith in yeah, the planet. I, I've seen I've seen that. There's, there's, I there's like three. Yet. There's like three of them. There's like part one, part two, part three. Yeah. Did you like them? Uh, it was a very different take on Godzilla as a post yeah. classic, and of course in, in that one is they leave, and when they come back, it's like twenty thousand years later. Oh wow! So, so Godzilla had the run of the place for twenty thousand years, so kind of like uh. the nature has taken over again. Oh wow! And Godzilla is more than just Godzilla at this point. He's like he's gi- he's like gigantic. He's beyond what the normal Godzilla you see. So mm-hmm. he's, oh. he's like he's like a he's a force of nature yeah. beyond that what you usually see. So mm-hmm. it's a very interesting. Take. Oh, good. Well, maybe you've seen some of these since you've seen that one. You may have found... I just like Godzilla. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I just want to make one clarification before we go further on the list. You don't like Godzilla? I actually really enjoy Godzilla. (laughs) I haven't seen the newest movie. Okay. um, But is this American Netflix or Canadian Netflix? Or a mix of both? 
I, I am assuming that this is probably the U.S. Net, oh, Netflix, okay. but there are so many that are that cross yes. over. Yeah, I just U, know there, there the are... The U.S. Netflix has way more choices than the Canadian. It does. So yeah. some of these so might not be available If you're Canadian you don't Canada. see these titles, that's because it's probably on the U.S. one. I yeah. think there'll probably be at least one or two. Yes. And if any of the Canadian listeners have found some on the Canadian Netflix that they like, either way, please let us know yeah. because we'd love to add... And I love post-apocalyptic movies. That Godzilla is on, on the Canadian. Yeah, no, I, I've seen it. Yeah, well, this is a fairly new one in 2018 called How It Ends. Oh, I and haven't heard of that one. This is interesting because the reviewer that put it on really is kind of iffy about it, but he thought overall it would be a good thing to watch um, because of the action scenes in it. But this one is about a young man who's trying to find his way back to his pregnant wife in a post-apocalyptic world, and the world isn't the same. It's full of chaos. Is he going to be able to meet his wife? Da 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 da. It starts out really well and then kind of fades. But he said, if you really like the action scenes in there it's worth you know hanging in there on, on the home the, the, the cliche home. of a pregnant woman in a post-apocalyptic world that's a, such a cliche yeah <laughs> yeah I know but maybe the action scenes make up make no, it makes for compelling uh, viewing because it's that more uh, vulnerable person mm-hmm. that you're trying yeah. to protect right yeah exactly um, th- this one is, is from 2017 called Cargo <gasps> did yes! you see that one I haven't seen it, but I've seen the short film that it's based on. Oh, okay. It's the short film. I think it's of the same name. Is I think it's an Australian short film, and it's amazing. Um, it's only like a ten-minute short film, and the movie. Um, I've I've wanted to watch the movie. I haven't yet, but it looks really good. Well, this movie is a sympathetic zombie mm-hmm. movie. Not very many sympathetic zombie <laughs> movies, sympathetic zombie but movie. you know, if you want to find a zombie movie with a heart. This is yeah. this is the one. Um, <laughs> that's rapidly decomposing. Yeah, I know. Who would ever well, think that you say a zombie well, movie with a heart? The reason it's sympathetic is, <clears throat> like, the, it's a dad who has a young daughter. I think she's, like, only, like, 18 months. She's very young. And he gets bitten by a zombie. And so he knows he's going to be turning into a zombie. But he wants his daughters to survive. Mm. So he, like, he, like, straps her to his back. And it, like, makes it... and. <laughs> He like nah. he makes it so like when he's a zombie he'll keep walking, and, and he can't reach her. No, he can't reach her. Yeah, and so like if anybody finds him, and like I think he like puts something so people will know that she's there. Yeah, it's I haven't seen the, like that's in the short film, um, uh, in the movie I'm assuming <laughs> we'll just add more character development. It'd be to good it. to to watch them both and compare. Mm-hmm. The um, at their number seven is a movie called Blame. From 2017. I haven't heard of that one. Um, well, I haven't either. It's a futuristic world where humans live a life completely integrated with cyber technology. Ooh. So, but, but, there's always a but. There's always a but. A deadly a virus breaks out, slowly making all the technology malfunction mm. and steadily starts wiping out the entire population of the world. I love so, that premise. So the crazy conspiracy theorists that were like, no, we can't be, have technology, will survive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the reviewer yeah. says if you're not a, a, a real techie and you're not up to you know a lot of the modern things, keep Google on your lap because you may have to <laughs> Google uh, an awful lot in order to keep up with you know what what the premise is. 
and this or as it as it goes on. Um, number six is from 2016 called Spectral. I've heard of this. I've seen the the picture on Netflix. I haven't actually watched it. Well, this sounds interesting. The world is threatened by supernatural beings that are invisible to the naked eye and destroy anyone who confronts them. Ooh. And it's around, uh, it centers on a special ops team that battles the unknown entities. And um, so it, uh, a little conspiracy theory in, in that as well. It's a, it's a, it's not a perfect film, the reviewer says, Very but it's are. really decent. I mean, some of these, you really don't want a perfect film. You just want to see all the death and destruction <laughs> and horribleness and then come back, have some chocolate cake and feel better. Yeah. You know, some movies, that's well, all you want. You've seen that in your line of work a lot of times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this one is from 2016 as well, and it's called ARC, A-R-Q. Okay. Okay. This one hmm. has a couple that get stuck in a time loop inside a lab where they get attacked by a bunch of mask raiders at the beginning of each day. Oh, that sounds so cool. I Doesn't love time loops. Cool? Yeah. Ooh. I mean, that sounds like, well, let's take this element, this element, this element, shake them yeah. all up, see what comes out, and make a movie. So it, it sounds like a pretty good mashup. Hmm. So um, this is a, a, a concept of, of course, there's a lot of concepts that include time loops, but this is supposed to be um, really a, a really good movie that, mm. that sticks to, to yeah. how it started and decent to watch, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, number four, The Train to Busan. <gasps> Busan. Oh, Busan. It's The Train to Busan. I knew I was going to screw up. This movie, I'm just going to jump in here for a sec, this movie is one of my favorite movies of all time. Mm. Really? It's a Korean movie, so it has subtitles, so you have to read right. subtitles. It's such an interesting take on zombie apocalypse because it's not as much about the zombies as about the interplay between the humans and the choices they make and the results of those choices and how, like... It's it's just it's a fascinating film, yeah, and you can watch it and dissect it, and it's it's really well done. And they're making an American remake that I do not want them to. <laughs> so we know they it's destroy on, everything. Yeah, so it's uh, we know it's on Canadian Netflix. Yes, so yes, it good. is. Okay, yeah, that's good. That's great. Yeah, no, and it, it definitely is a movie that I one hundred percent would recommend to everyone, especially oh. if you like zombies, because there are some amazing zombie scenes in it that are that are amazing. That's rated at number four. So let's see if you've seen any mm -hmm. of the others and and think that they come up to to that standard. The number three is Ian Flux, and from and it's an older one from two thousand and five. No, I haven't seen that one. It's uh, Charlie Theron is in that movie mm -hmm. and it's set up in a world where a virus has almost wiped out the entire human race but the main character is assigned with the task of assassinating a government official my mm. kind of girl right? <laughs> <laughs> but she discloses deeper secrets and conspiracies that might force her to change her mind that mm. sounds that really sounds interesting yeah yeah it's called A-E-O-N Flux F-L- UX. Number two, getting down to the end here, is called The Worthy. I haven't seen that it's one. It's a good movie considering the fact that it comes from a place where cinema isn't all that big. And it's the movie is about how most of the world's population gets completely wiped out after water sources are contaminated by deadly viruses. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 
So yeah. this is a you know, you know how close to reality that is right now. Well, yeah. You know, people don't realize it's only three percent of all the water on the planet are actually fresh. And so we hold most of it. And, and most <laughs> of it, almost well, a lot of it is polluted beyond use. So yeah. Yeah. So their number one is called Here Alone from 2016. It's a hmm. drama horror thriller that follows another, it's another um, movie following the zombie apocalypse theme. But this one tells the story of a young woman who struggles to survive deep inside the wilderness after an epidemic hits the world, turning most humans into bloodthirsty zombies that'll kill everything in sight. <laughs> so it, it, the reviewer says it's got a good share of uh, very gripping and brilliant moments um but there's not a whole lot of substance to it so i guess it's better technically mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. than it is in terms of content but it the emotional appeal of the character keeps you hooked and it the rest of it you kind of pass your time so it sounds like the, mm-hmm. the one that is the the winner out of all of these is the one that you like train to busan, train to busan. Yeah. Yeah. i the thing that i like most about that film is it it shows the difference of people working together mm. versus people sticking out for themselves. their own skin. And, yeah. it, and it, it does it in such a good way that it's like, oh, yeah, no, people actually do that. Oh, yeah, people would actually do that. But then also like the good in humanity where it's like people wait and try to save other people. And it, yeah, I just I, I now I want to go home and watch that movie. <laughs> well, looks like you're going to pick up some Popcorn on the oh, way no, home and watch it again. Home. <laughs> well, before you do that, since Chris is not here, I guess you're doing another brilliant moment. I'm correct? I am, and I'm so nervous. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Take your time, sweetie. I will. Okay, so the wonderful man, Matt Saver from the Liberty Council, Ugh. believes that if Congress passes the Equality Act, it will lead to pedophilia being legal. No way! Yeah. Oh, because, we've all been waiting for that. Oh, pedophilia yeah. is spelled with the same kind of letters as equality. There's the link. Yeah. It's, from the, the, it's from the same the alphabet. The same alphabet. <laughs> I, there we go. Absolutely. Undeniable yeah. link. <laughs> yeah, and th- this is an idea that, for me, has boiled my blood for years. <laughs> so when I saw it, I'm like, okay, this is the story I'm doing. <laughs> um, so the act, the Equality Act, all it actually does is adds explicit non-discrimination protections for LGBTQ people to the federal civil rights laws. So making it illegal to fire them for being gay or trans, just like it's illegal to fire them for being a woman. Yeah. And making it so, like, they can... I I don't know if it does housing, but hopefully it also covers, like, you can't not rent to them. I don't know if it specifically does that, but... Yeah. So this is what he's saying will cause it. And on the... On a recent Faith and Freedom podcast, he said, If the so-called H.R. 5 Equality Act is passed, it will open the door to pedophilia. That's right. There's a huge danger in so many areas, but this is also one. Linda Harvey wrote an article. It says, Equality Act opens back door to pedophilia. And she begins by saying, Jason is 13 and wants to date his 21-year-old student teacher. If the LGBT Equality Act passes through Congress, the age of consent barrier may fall and allow him to do so. What? This is not hi- hypothetical. How did he get to the idea that the age of consent may fall all of a sudden? 
I easy. don't know. Hey, if you've got absolutely no logic whatsoever, yeah, yeah, exactly, and all crazy religion in your head, yeah, is there any you know is there any doubt that the two are going to be related? It, it makes so it, ma- it makes no sense whatsoever. To all, all of a sudden think you're going to give people rights, and somehow they're going to say, well, finally we're finally have we have the right to get married. Now let's take off our mask and. Screw a kid for yeah. some reason. But, it's like, but what you, the did, hell? did you notice the thing in that story that makes me just disgusted? Well, the whole story is well, disgusting. In his saying, his setting up this child, mm-hmm. wanting to date his teacher, he put it on the child. Yeah, he's like this. This thirteen-year-old kid is the one pursuing the adult. Yeah, of it's like, course. are you? Are you kidding me? Like, children cannot consent. If if they did have a relationship, it would be the adult's fault. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. of course, of course, and of course. Every... But then the adult would blame it on the child. Well, yeah, and it, it's you just, know, it, for being yeah, kind of, it shows kind of like, such a disgusting, insidious kind of like mind those frame. pedophile priests kind of do the same thing, right? Exactly, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. disgusting. Yeah, I mean, let's face it. We we've all, as kids, you know, kind of thought, oh, you know, I kind of like the way my teacher looks or something like that. <laughs> Speak for yourself. Week. Never happened to me. No. Okay. Well. No. Yeah, I've had a, c- a couple of good-looking teachers, but <laughs> to, it, it, it doesn't change the fact that there's no way in hell a 13-year-old is going to start initiating some kind of relationship with an adult. And if he or she actually has the guts to do so and try that, I think the adult normally would say, "You know what, kid? No, you need to. They <laughs> you should. Need to know otherwise, they're pedophiles. Exactly. Right. And tying tying this whole interaction to the Equality Act. That's yeah. where it's. Wait a it minute. It makes no sense it, whatsoever. It, it, no. I I think it shows how they they have a fundamental misunderstanding of what the LGBT community is. Oh, because I, I don't think so. Well, I think they know exactly what they're doing. What they're doing is they re- they realize they have no argument whatsoever against this so they're just going to find what one of the most repulsive thing for most people is mm-hmm. which is attacking a child and just going to associate them somehow hoping that the masses of sheeps out there are just going to follow suit i think they know exactly mm-hmm. what they don't yeah i think i think there are a lot of lot of people who do that but i i do think there are some people who honestly have a misunderstanding of what like because there's so many people who are against gay rights. Oh, yeah, of course. Who are like, who don't realize all it is is a consenting adult yeah. in a relationship with another consenting adult. Yeah. It's like the one thing that all of these things have in common are consenting adults. <laughs> No, I mean, I was uh, even, I don't remember the percentage, but even this week, in 2019, there's still a segment of the Canadian population, and of course, a larger segment of the American population that thinks that uh, gay is a choice. Uh, I mean, yeah. this, this is this this is disturbing, right? Uh, these people, you know, they, they voice their opinion, and, you know, everybody has a right to voice your opinion, but for Christ's sake, when you don't know anything about nothing, shut the hell up, yeah. you know, or learn something. Go find an expert and ask questions. Uh, the, mm. the the tide of ignorance is rising. Yeah, but in this then world. you'd have to give up your beliefs that are based on yeah. nothing. Yeah. You know, and and you actually have to think. It's so much easier to say no, no. This is an affront to God and a moral, you know, debasement of of all of our morals, and stick to that without having. I mean, why go any further? You know, you're right. Yeah, exactly. These exactly. people, they don't. If they if they had any education. They'd all be in favor of the Equality Act. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and the world doesn't, you know, people in the world don't work that way. Yeah. 
unfortunately. I, I, I don't understand why people will fight so hard tooth and nail. The same thing, we we have this battle going on here all the time with the Sochi 1, 2, 3. And mm-hmm. we spoke to Brad and Veronica Dress and all that. It's like, people are going out there with the most outrageous, lucrative things. Saying that, you know, teachers are going out there trying, trying to t- t- teach kids that they can choose to be a, a boy or a girl. No, no, mm-hmm. it's not at all what's happening. The program is simply stating, don't be a dick. If you find out you have a classmate who turns out he looks like a boy, but he actually is a girl, don't be an ass to him or her. You know, and that is it. (laughs) Last night I was with a group of people who were watching A Boy Erased, which has to do with... the uh, conversion, uh, conversion therapy. Conversion therapy. Unfortunately, I was sitting in a place where I couldn't hear anything, but but I watched. Aww. I watched it, but I couldn't hear. But it, it, it's the same thing. It had to do with a, a minister in um, Kentucky and his wife. Uh, you know that, that whose son was gay, and they they didn't know any better than to send him to conversion therapy, which turns out to be you know oh. horrible. It's torturing it, children torturing. until you break them down yeah, enough it, that they say they're not gay or really lesbian. Was. Anymore. And, 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 but the film ends on a high note where he actually breaks free of the um, uh, of the, the conversion the, the group, therapy, the conversion therapy awesome. group, and, and finds his own way yeah. and his own person that you know he finds to have a, a, a positive relationship with. So it's great that it ended well. But it's the same thing, you know. The, the, the parents, you know, all they knew was this is against God, this is against everything, and mm-hmm. the, the only way they knew is to send him to conversion yes. therapy, so which was, you know, For, the, the worst thing they could have done. Fortunately, where we are here in BC, uh, gay conversion therapy is illegal. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, it's not the same case in a lot of places like in the States. <laughs> a lot of places yeah. in the States, it's still legal to do these kind of things, but uh, it's a battle they're going to lose, but, you know, it's how much damage that they're going to do in the meantime. Yeah. It's a battle they've already lost in a way, but, yeah, like I said, how much damage, you know, and think about it this way, right? Uh, being gay is not a choice. Uh, but uh, being homophobic is. Yeah. yeah. I like that. Yeah. Exactly. 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 All right. Well, thank you, my dear. That was great. I try. You, no, it's You good. try very well. <laughs> so let's take a quick pause, and when we come back, we'll be talking there. We'll be talking to Dr. Hector Garcia about whoop, his whoop. book, Sex, Power, and Partisanship. How Evolutionary Science Makes Sense of Our Political Divide. Great. So stay with us. What's up, heathens? I'm the Godless Engineer, and it would be great if you could join me on my YouTube channel. Over there, we post videos every day. On Mondays, we normally post a response video of some kind. Tuesdays, we post our daily Bible podcasts that I record with KC. Wednesdays, we read comments. Thursdays and Fridays is conspiracy theory and flat earth stuff. And we have a new segment that runs Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays that is Today I Learned from KC. Hi, y'all. So please join us over on the YouTube channel, Godless Engineer, where we always stand up and use our voice. Hi, I'm God, and I just wanted to make sure to tell you not to listen to Unapologetics on Stitcher and SoundCloud. That's Unapologetics with an X at the end. But, uh, yeah, definitely do not listen to the show. I mean, I swear to me, I, I will murder my son. Uh, well, I mean, I kind of already did that, but uh, don't, just don't listen to the show, okay? Hey, Lucy. Can you, not, can you not call me that, okay? We already went over what my name is, okay? It's Lucifer. All right, look, Lucy. 
uh, you want to come with me? I'm going to go fuck with this guy, Job. No, don't, don't do that, okay? Can you just leave him alone? Yeah, I'm going to kill his family. No, don't, don't do that. I'm going to give him sores all over his body. Don't, don't, don't do that. That's disgusting. Yeah, I'm going to kill all of his livestock, you just, know. Stop, stop saying things. Just stop. Yeah, I'm going to blame the whole thing on you. <laughs> uh, all right, let's go, bud. Remember, don't listen to unapologetics on Stitcher and SoundCloud. Hey, definitely listen to that show. It's awesome. It's really cool. He's really a dick. I heard that. somebody seriously represents his belief that Elvis is still alive in a conversation in, in, in on a first date at a lecture at a job interview mm-hmm. uh, he immediately pays a price yeah. Yeah. He pays a price in ill-concealed laughter. Right. Now, surely you can agree with that. That, that, that is a good thing. Now, he can, now, then he could rattle on about, this is not a scientific claim. Uh, this is a matter of faith. You know, when I look at you, I, I see you might be Elvis. I mean, he, he, could, he could do this. So our next guest masochist is the assistant professor of the Department of Psychiatry, University of Texas Health Science Center at San Antonio, and a clinical psychologist specializing in the treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder in combat veterans. He's a snappy dresser and a snazzy dancer, Dr. Hector Garcia. Welcome back. How did you know all that about me? That's awesome. I've got your book. I didn't talk about being a, a sharp dresser and a snazzy, a snappy dancer, or whatever you said, but yeah. <laughs> you extrapolated. Well, Nancy, you Nancy has a special skill set. <laughs> yeah, Nancy yeah. has a very special set of skills. I'm a dilettante, I guess. <laughs> she will find you. <laughs> oh, Dr. Garcia, thank you so much for being with us. Um, maybe for our listeners that uh, might not have heard you the last time you were with us, maybe you'd be so kind to give us a quick bio as to who Dr. Hector Garcia is. Well, uh, I am a clinical psychologist, and uh, for the past 15 years or so, I've been working um, exclusively with combat veterans suffering from PTSD, and I do clinical research, and I write books, apparently, about evolutionary psychology um, as it applies to politics, as it applies to religion, how sex and reproduction are tied into all that. So, you know, all those topics that you're told not to talk about at the Thanksgiving dinner table. The religious right must love you. So the funnest ones to talk about. Yes. (laughs) The religious right must just love you, right? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I don't hear from too many of them, but I'm happy to have those conversations. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so today we're going to be talking about your latest book, Sex, Power, and Partisanship, How Evolutionary Science Makes Sense of Our Political Divide. I got the impression when I started reading this book that this was almost like a sequel to your last book that we talked about, Alpha God. People have said that, and I could see that. I mean, it's it's the similarities are applying evolutionary psychology, specifically our mating strategies, the uh, the, the the strategies that we employ mm-hmm. variously to perpetuate our genes across the generations. Those those are embedded in our politics. Those are embedded in our religions, as we talked about 
last time we talked mm-hmm. when we were discussing Alpha God, uh, my first book. So in that, yeah, in that sense, I think I think there's some similarities. Yeah, because uh, you know, whenever I do my mating dance and I've got all my plumage fluffed up and everything, <laughs> it does seem to impress a lot of people. Usually, you get an ambulance coming in, and that's about it. <laughs> the, the vision that conjures up is quite impressive. <laughs> You should see it in person. Oh yeah, I've got the moves, man. I got yeah. the moves. So, 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 what prompted you to write? Because this is a, a a subject that it's not taboo, but it's close to that, and it's a subject that not a lot of people actually seem to write about. So, what prompted you to write about this? Oh boy, well, the twenty sixteen presidential election <laughs> in the U.S. that yeah. was that that made me pull the trigger on it. I mean, I've I've kind of been observing these patterns um, for a long time, but that 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 lit the fire under under me. And and really, the patterns that I talk about is is I, I think last time I, I may have referenced um, uh, this idea that the that the conservative right tends to have a a masculine feel about it mm-hmm. with with its hawkish foreign policy. Um, you know, its emphasis on controlling women's reproductive mm-hmm. output, and the left has more of a feminine feel about it, more empathic, uh, more supportive of women's rights, things of that nature. Um, so I had been observing these patterns when the 2016 election happened. I thought, well, we have to understand this event, which stunned not only half of the United States, but like the rest of the world. I mean, you, you, you guys as Canadians could probably speak to that, yeah. right? I mean, what, what was your, what were your thoughts when you saw the outcome? Oh boy. We were horrified. <laughs> yeah. Where to start? It, it was as someone who Canadians always look at America as kind of like stuck up, like, really? Yeah, like, they're the best. They only care about themselves. Oh, yeah, well, America, yeah, we, we do have a feeling that Americans are very America-centric. Yes. yes. Yeah, there's no doubt about and, that. And for Canada, we're very, like, want the best for everybody. Mm-hmm. And seeing someone who is spreading such vitriol yes. about yes. the neediest people was just like, are you kidding me? Yes. Like, is this actually happening? Like, like, how is this happening? <laughs> and and th- this is one of my biggest beefs as to what happens in uh, politics. Uh, because my, my old father used to say that, you know, when, when the U.S. gets a cold, Canada gets pneumonia. Because you guys are mm-hmm. our biggest trading partner, we have a tendency to, to see, the, you know, what comes down the pipe. So when, when, when Trump got in and we thought, yeah, there's no way in hell they would do such a thing up here but now i'm seeing conservative politicians adopting the same tactics it's terrifying and and this is like oh my god you can't tell me that we're gonna fall for this too right and this is what's terrifying and it's not just in politics we've seen the same thing in uh as atheists we've seen the same thing with religion you Mm -hmm. know all of a sudden you got the the, this 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 backlash against uh uh evolution is like and science and and, and basic science and just intellectual anything is like what where the what the hell is going on here and we're realizing it seems to be an influence directly from our southern cousins right here in in the u.s and and i i don't necessarily think it's just because of like america i think it's the same influences that influence america Mm -hmm. also influence canada so like social media and religion and all that. Yeah, but because it's social media, most of it is from the states. Yes, we get a lot and of a lot American of our media news. is from the states as yeah. well, right? So anyway, yeah, so, as a, I'm a dual citizen, so it was really 
more horrifying and more interesting because I could see it from from both mm-hmm. from both sides. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm involved on both sides of the border, and I think most people in Canada were just as informed as the U.S. citizens were. They're, they didn't. They, uh, the Canadians didn't miss a beat no. in terms of the uh, the election process, and most of them up here really felt that Trump was going to be defeated, and it was much of a blow yeah, watching absolutely. it up here yeah. with the Canadians as it was discussing it with my uh, with my neighbors and family in the U.S. And, and then we started seeing some things like when they were running for the leadership for the Conservative Party here in Canada, and you saw guys like Kevin O'Leary, Kevin O'Leary, who's one of the stars from Dragon Den. Uh, which is like Shark Tank, essentially. And, you know, he starts spewing all the same kind of lies as Trump is using. Oh, I've got the best, I've got the best advice, I've got the best money, I've got the best words. And he's he's coming up with these outrageous ideas and you're thinking, oh my God, this is the same, same kind of tactic. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Hector just did what he does best. He's a clinical I know, no, he's totally unlike he us right us, now. No, he asked us a question and then he was quiet and what happened? We, we took over the whole interview. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm starting to wonder if he just hung up and just left and no. got himself a coffee, you he, know. He probably pulled minute. out a pen and a paper and it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. No, wait a minute. We, we're on to you now, buddy. Come on, let's come back in the conversation. I'm my goatee right now. There's a point to what you guys are talking about and it's and it's it's also very primitive. And that that's that's one of the things I tried to answer with this book is that we know it. We know it when we watch the spectacle unfold on the news. We know that it's primitive. We know that it's irrational. We know that that you know huge swaths of society are, are on this runaway horse, and you know who's controlling this. Mm-hmm. And and so my my thought was to to try and make sense of it all because when we look at surface level phenomenon, it just it just is, does not satisfy as an explanation. The evolutionary sciences really get to to the core of what drives all of this irrational behavior mm-hmm. and, and re- like you were saying before you know when when uh, when you have these chest thumpers turn inward to the tribe and start pounding the drums of of war and tribalism it it prompts the chest thumpers I- I- among neighboring tribes to do the same mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's this ancient impulse so that's, I think, what we've seen not only, you know, with with certain right wing politicians in Canada, but but across the pond as well. I mean, I mean, Brexit mm-hmm. happened not too long after, uh, you know, that's whole thing started unfolding with, with a greater fervor after after Trump's election. Mm-hmm. I think they're they're yes. all linked. Hector, in your book, you talk a lot about uh, the duality of politics in the states. You know, the Republicans versus the Democrats, and you you refer to the Republicans as like the, the daddy party, and you refer to the Democrats more like the mom party. Uh, that traditionally used to be so. You know, we used to think of the Republicans more as the dad party, et cetera, et cetera. But today, as given the Evolution, for lack of a better term, of society as you know, women's liberation and all that—is it still justified to think of it that way? Because you know, when I—I'm obviously a a more liberal-leaning kind of guy, but even when I read that myself, I'm like, well, wait a minute, you know, hey, I'm kind of macho too, you know. It's like I'm not just all girly because I'm both liberal. Is it? Is it? Is, and, you, and you see a lot of women today that are very aggressive in their politics as well. Is it? Is it fair to still use that same kind of description as maybe that was true back in the fifties? Well, well, listen. Whenever we start talking about evolutionary science, I always, I always try to try to 
give the caveats that we we have to avoid making the naturalistic fallacy that just because something is arrived at genetically doesn't mean we're bound to it doesn't mean it's inevitable doesn't mean it's necessarily moral um, we can make different choices and there's a lot of variation um, sure there are there are uh, there are women Republicans, right? And there are highly empathic Republicans. And there are, uh, you know, liberal men and women who are fighters. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those in so many ways. But, but probabilistically, you see this leaning that is unmistakable, not only in terms of sex, but, but these reproductive drives that get embedded in our politics, hmm. um, and it, and it does have a, sec, a, a leaning by sex as well. So in the in the 2018 U.S. Congress, out of 110 women, uh, 81 of those were Democrat. And what I argue is that you know political conservatism really favors male reproductive imperatives, and the opposite for for uh, you know political liberalism. Hmm. So that's that's what I try to unpackage in the book. Hmm. That's interesting. Is it, Hector? Is it is it is it possible to think that maybe as a species we are just simply not evolved enough to fully understand and have a system like democracy? I think we can have a system like democracy. I think um, I think we have to understand our evolved psychology because uh, you know I think the ambitions of men tend to corrupt democracy. And uh, sometimes with the tacit or explicit consent of the populace. So, you know, why, why, why did this half, did half a nation um, really support Donald Trump and be inspired by him? And why did the other half be repelled by them along with the rest of the world, apparently? Mm-hmm. Now, this is, this is very primitive stuff. We have to understand that. We have to understand where it comes from. One example, if I can, if I can just you know make this a little clearer from, for for your listeners, for our listeners. Um, one thing that we see is that fear, the propensity, the the sensitivity to different kinds of stimuli to fear them, falls on a natural curve. It's a continuum, right? So some people fear a lot of different things very highly. Most of us are kind of in the middle, and some people don't have much fear of many things. And if they do, it's 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 not very uh, intense. So when we use political orientation to predict where people fall on on the natural curve in terms of fear, it maps on uh, to a stunning degree. So um, the more conservative you are politically, the more you're 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 likely to fear a wider variety of stimuli. And vice versa for for uh, for political liberalism. So much so tough party these are these are are fears of things that that uh, have threatened us in our evolutionary past for millions of years, like mm-hmm. fear of germs and fear of outsiders. Mm-hmm. So you know that this is this is where I think our evolutionary past is where conservatives get that kind of xenophobic stances mm-hmm. to so many different things like immigration to outsiders of any any kind different races different religions mm-hmm. so um there's there's research supporting that there is uh there are these kinds of of underpinnings and we have to understand where they come from that's the point 
Yeah. So so essentially, one of the you you for in layman's terms, you're saying that one of the reasons why conservatives might be against immigration is because of the age-old evolutionary trait that a stranger coming into the tribe could bring new germs and be deadly, essentially. Yeah, and, and that's something I talk about in the book. So so one thing we know is that, that the more conservative you are, mm-hmm. the more likely you are to fear germs. And actually, it's probably better to even say it the other way. The more likely you are to fear germs, the, the more you fear germs, the more likely you are to be politically conservative because our fear of germs far, far, far predated any kind of political parties or political ideology, mm-hmm. right? And and so that had an advantage in our evolutionary past when somebody could come in with a common cold and wipe out our entire tribe, right? Mm-hmm. Outsiders bring diseases that we don't have an immunity for. Um, and and so fear of germs is more is more prevalent among political conservatives, and so is fear of outsiders, fear of new people. Mm-hmm. Whereas liberals tend to be more xenophilic, interested in new people, interested mm-hmm. in new cultures, interested in world travel, things like that. Well, having a prejudicial psychology when germs were a a, a prominent threat, where we didn't have anything resembling vaccines. Or anti-back hand hand sanitizer, yeah. or or you know anything like that. That was it, it served us to have that prejudicial psychology. Hmm. Which is so, why I, I would imagine. I'm sorry. I was just is why I would imagine that Trump's base responds so positively and so strongly every time he says immigration. They're invading our country. He's very he he's good at branding, and so for him to say it's an invasion is a way of bringing up that ancient germ uh, um, theory yeah, of, yeah. Of, of of being infectious. Intrusive. Not only does he say invasion, but he says infesting. Infesting. Oh, that's wow. right. Oh, yeah, I forgot. I, I couldn't think of that other word. Thanks, Hector. That's it. It's an infecting, huh. infesting. You're right. Okay. So, so you know, the, the 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 political operatives that advise our candidates, they are shrewd, and they know this research that I just mentioned. They know it. So, so Trump saying something like that is not accidental. He knows his base mm-hmm. um, because of the people whispering in his ear. I don't, I don't think he's he's particularly high IQ or anything like that. <laughs> I often wonder if he's uh, cognitively impaired just because of the way he talks, like yeah. like like other politicians. Really? Like, what was ah. your first clue? What was your first clue of that? I'm puzzled by this. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> right? But but it goes. But but what I think is really interesting is that this this goes beyond fear of foreigners as vectors of disease but as murderers mm-hmm. right so so we talked last time about the threat of outside tribes as as invaders who who ever since we were hunter gatherers you know men would plan these these uh, outgroup raids where they'd attack the rival clan kill all the men take women as their spoils of war was incredibly common in our evolutionary past. And I think you and I, Kevin, may have talked about how, uh, you know, we even see that in, in, in biblical times where Moses commands his men to do that ostensibly mm-hmm. at the at the request of God, at the command of God. Go into the rival tribe, call the men. If you see girls that please you, take them, you know. So, so some of the fear of outsiders comes from that ancestral history, which was violent. Mm-hmm. And and that in part I, I think explains the the appeal of large formidable 
leaders. Mm-hmm. So if you if you guys <laughs> had the chance to watch to watch the the run up to the election, I mean, every you know Donald Trump was bragging about how big mm-hmm. he was at yes, certain yes, things. Yes. He's I'm, I'm big and my and all my opponents are little 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 Marco Rubio, little <laughs> Rocket Man. Like he refers to everybody else around him as little, mm-hmm. you know, and and it's also so very again it's just it's just so primitive like yes. during the uh the primaries people were bragging about how tough they were over and over like ben carson uh, you remember him he was one of the he was one of the republican mm-hmm. candidates he was bragging about how he used to attack people with bricks and rocks yeah. and stuff like that bragging about it not hiding that bragging about it and and we even saw this on the on the on the liberal side too on the on the Democrat side. So Jim Webb uh, bragged during the uh, the Democratic debates how he about killing an, an enemy soldier in the Vietnam War. So um, we're we're instinctively drawn to big formidable male protectors in our gods and and in our political candidates and that's that's something that I think is was a prominent factor in the 2016 election but I, I gotta ask this I mean maybe maybe I don't know you probably can't answer this but Donald Trump doesn't strike me as an alpha male I mean he's 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 like Jabba the Hutt I mean <laughs> I don't know he's not he's not a particularly good-looking guy he, he's not particularly smart The only or or doesn't seem strong physically. The only thing he seems to have is just money. Sure, I think appearances are everything, though. And this and this this is you know, it happens at the unconscious level. Mm -hmm. There was a study looking at two hundred plus years of presidential elections, and and in this study, and and the majority of the cases, the taller of the two candidates won. Mm. The taller of the two candidates. This has no bearing whatsoever. On, you know, it shouldn't have any bearing on who we elect as leaders today, no, because our, our leaders would never represent us in a in a physical fight. But yeah. it did in our evolutionary past, and political candidates know this, and political leaders know this. So, so let me just let me just point this out because I think it's relevant. Justin Trudeau, mm-hmm. love this, this, love this guy, but he. He has filmed himself working out in a boxing gym. I think he even yes. like boxed another candidate in the in the ring one time. I saw this fight. He he won it. He was like he was boxing this guy. Last time you were on the show, we were discussing this. Yes, that's true. Is yeah, that yeah. right? I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. We, he uh, he uh, he actually uh, fought off uh, uh, somebody from the conservative side, which of course the funny thing is is Justin was actually uh, smaller and less physically imposing than the other guy, but still won the match. So. <laughs> Right. It just goes and to that, show you, right? <laughs> that has this primitive appeal, doesn't it? It does. That's very interesting. So now here we are in a race where so far, you know, it's going to be Trump maybe weld, maybe if he has a, a a breakdown, you never know. Pence may be there on the Republican side and we seem to have a growing list of strong women who are going to represent and may even be a, a, one may be a candidate for um, for the Democrats. So where where do you see that evolutionary um, struggle at this point where the rise of women is, seems to seems to be hitting their hitting their stride at this point? Well, I, I in many ways, I think I think um, the rise of women in, in American politics is was a was a was a backlash to what has happened 
uh, in the political arena with with Trump, with with uh, you know Brett Kavanaugh, mm-hmm. with there were so many other things that just seem to um, paint a dark picture for women's rights and 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 I think for the future of 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 my country. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm hoping it takes hold. Um, the, you know the research is pretty clear that when when women are represented more in politics, life tends to get better for everybody. <laughs> yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Education gets, you know, more people have access to education and healthcare. Military spending goes down, you know, and and more 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 spending on on, you know, um, all those aspects of life that that all those Improved all those aspects life. of civic life that mm-hmm. make life more bearable and 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 I think I think it's important to educate the populace. So there you go. I think we need more women in politics, mm-hmm. and it's still it's still a problem because it seems that even when you have more women in politics, it still is that glass ceiling of a woman being number one, being the president, being the prime minister. It's still difficult. It still seems that we prefer to see a male there than a woman. I think it's just yeah. because not enough women have run. Well, I mean, <laughs> we need more women in politics. I don't doubt that whatsoever. But I mean, it's, it's still, you know, it's almost like right now, like for example, in the States, um, you have some powerful women running on the Democrat side, some pretty powerful women. But yet, uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, mayor Pete beat uh, Boo. Buttigieg. Yeah, right away. He, this this is just a mayor, and boom, he's right he's right in front right away. Say, so, well, hold on, what, what happened to these women here? You have some very really good candidates, but all of a sudden, it's like they, he eclipsed them all, and it just seems because simply because he's a guy. Oh, listen, you know the the, the truth is throughout our evolutionary history, most leaders were were male, and they were usually large males, and and you know, but this this served a need that I mean we have to ask ourselves like how much do we still need that today mm-hmm. how much do we still need you know large men as as leaders who have this hawkish approach to to uh, foreign policy and and uh, you know paranoia of outside groups and and things of that nature when we live in a very different world we live in a very different world than the one that we lived in when we were hunter-gatherers where most of our 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 psychology was cooking, so to speak. Is there a way for us to learn that? Because it seems like obviously the the masses that go out there uh, obviously are still quote very primitive in their thinking when it comes to voting. So how how do we get people to take a, a look and say, well, yeah, it's great to have a big, tough, screaming man uh, as leader, but you know, this is this is twenty nineteen. This is not like five thousand BC. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll just get him to listen to your podcast. That's what you get. <laughs> Can I can I add a, an addendum to that question? And how how do you get them to learn when, especially in America, you have so many religious people who think that evolution isn't real, mm-hmm. that that we don't have this thousands and millions of years of of history in our genes and how and our how our minds work? How do you convince them that a lot of their political decisions are are based on that which so, they don't believe exists. So, so can education trump the instinctual way we uh, pick our leaders? Mm-hmm. That's a terrific question and and it depends, you know, it depends on the kind of education. I think I think, you know, we're 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 flexible. We're adaptable. That is who we are. Homo sapiens means wise man, wise human, because that is our adaptation. We we learn, mm-hmm. um, uh, and I think uh, 
you know, our, our evolved psychology is, is still a kind of a frontier. I mean, these fields are, are incredibly n- new. Uh, so I, I, I think, um, I, I always advocate for critical thinking um, being a mandatory component of, of the public school mm, system. Yes. And for evolutionary science to have a protected place in, 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 that, in those cur- curricula uh, for what it tells us, for, for all of the unconscious, often destructive, often oppressive drives mm-hmm. that, uh, that, that create mm-hmm. um, kind of inhabitable societies. We have to pull these up mm-hmm. to the surface, scrutinize them, and decide which ones of these still serve us and which mm-hmm. one of, of these should be left on the savannas of our ancestral past, yeah. so to speak. That's, and that's what I advocate for. It's almost like, because we were talking earlier how you work with people with PTSD, it's almost like when you have someone who had an adaptive behavior that worked in this one scenario that now in a new scenario, it's, it's maladaptive. So it's like if for society thousands of years ago, it was adaptive to shun new newcomers and it was it was it was good to not let new people in because they would kill you. But now yeah. in our new society, it's it's it, it doesn't work anymore. Yeah. yeah. Well, you bring up a very interesting parallel and, and, and appropriate parallel. I mean, uh, this is a conversation that I have with so many of my patients Um so just to diverge a little bit, I mean, PTSD, I see it uh, as an adaptation for a hostile environment like mm-hmm. combat or like the or like the the environments of our ancestors where threats were perpetual. In that environment, you want to have your head on a swivel. You want to be vigilant. You want to watch everything. You want to be able to get angry very quickly in case you get attacked. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to not sleep very much at night. You know, you don't want to sleep too deeply because that's when raids happen. That's when predators came into the camp. Um, so, you know, what what I and so many other clinicians who specialize in this area do is like, okay, your 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 mind your your mind got stuck on the parameters of that environment. Let's do the therapy to get it to adapt to the here and now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, as a clinician who sees this happening, I, I do think there's, there's, there's great room for adaptation, you know, but, but, but we have to continue to fight for the right to question. We have to mm-hmm. continue to fight for, for, you know, science education in the public schools. And, and I think against, you know, anti-science you know, superstition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Th- this is this is something I got I to get back to it because you were we said a bit earlier that, um, you know, if you're more if you're more quote unquote scared of immigrants, that you might be a conservative. Um, how does that jive with the same conservative? Because they're, they're let's see let's say let's say the evolutionary process as their ancestral fear of germs. How does that jive with that same conservative today being against progress or scientific progress? You would think once the you would think as a conservative, if you have in the mindset that uh, in your evolutionary growth, or, or I should say that you you're afraid of germs, then once you have a tool to fight that, you think you'd be gung ho against it. You'd be gung ho with that. But it seems that when you're conservative, it's just no. I just want I just want to stay in my cave, and everybody needs to get out. Science can be threatening, especially for people on the on the fear, more fearful end of the natural curve. I mean, let's just let's just talk about what religion does. For example, mm-hmm. religion provides a salve for all for 
I think humanity's biggest fear, and that's fear of death. You know, religion says, in fact, we don't die. There's a big male savior in the sky who's going to protect us yeah. from death itself. Um, and so what a science to a challenge is that. It's like, well, no, actually, you know, there's really no proof of an afterlife. There's really no proof of a, of a, of a, of a dominant male, you know, protector in the sky that is incredibly threatening to people. Mm-hmm. So people engage in what's called motivated reasoning, and and that is just the act of, you know, just deflecting information, ignoring information to arrive at a at a a, a more preferable, emotionally preferable conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what that's what we apparently are good at as human beings. We do that. That's interesting. That's interesting. Uh, Dr. Garcia, the, um, there's, what does evolutionary science have to say about what seems to be the recent phenomenon of uh, polarization in the politics? I mean, there's always been conservatives and liberals, but if you go back to 1950, not even that far, it was kind of a mishmash podge of, you know, everybody was leaning one way. But today, it really seems like the, the, the both sides of the political spectrum have really split apart. And, you know, it's like, you're either team red or team blue. Does, does evolutionary psychology say anything about this? Is this a recent phenomenon? Is this something we've always had or just decided to come back? Or, Well, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly, it would seem that it's a recent phenomenon, but I, I argue that it's in fact very old. I mean, even, even in contemporary U.S. history, uh, we see these kinds of fissions. But I think, I think that's the nature of tribalism is, is – you know, we, we form these partitions and we, we, we break off into groups and then we fight each other, um, sometimes around, you know, the most senseless of boundaries. Mm. It goes from, you know, political parties to whether you're from the north or the south, whether mm-hmm. you're Sunni or Shia, whether you're rich or poor, uh, or what side of, of a certain, you know, what neighborhood you're from in a, in a, you know, in the case of inner city gangs doing this behavior. Mm-hmm. But that that those fissions along partisan lines certainly aren't 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 new. I mean, uh, during the 1960s, we saw, you know, police and the and the right wing clash with the leftist counterculture and the anti Vietnam War protesters. Yeah. Um, in the 50s, McCarthyism was you know kind of tore the nation apart along along similar lines, and uh, I, I I think uh, I think I think that's just part of um, you know, our kind of tribalistic psychology that gets expressed through, through uh, partisanship. Is it? Is it? Could it be part of a cycle? You know, that says, you know, for example, let's say, for example, the the, the American Civil War. There was this kind of divide that also happened, and then the Civil War happened. Uh, can we? Can we? Can we be seeing the first step towards? Well, maybe not a civil war, but towards a quote unquote fight between. Uh, between all between all of us, you know, people are polarizing more and more, and all of a sudden, boom, there's a clash that we kind of come all together for a while, then we start splitting apart again, and there's another clash. Is this a cycle that keeps repeating over and over? Well, it is, certainly appears to be. Mm. <laughs> I mean, gosh, any history book you you pull up is just war after war after war. But you know what? I I think we have to be careful, and I try to be careful to not paint too negative a picture of humanity if you ever get a chance to to read uh steven pinker's book better angels of our nature an excellent book an excellent book compiling a mountain of research looking at how 
much more civilized, how much more compassionate and cooperative we've become as a species since our days as hunter-gatherers. Uh, and this is something I touch upon a little bit in the book where, you know, there's – when we were hunter-gatherers, we were killing each other off at a stunning rate compared to, to now. It's gotten progressively safer. Um in terms of, you know, interpersonal violence or intergroup violence. Mm -hmm. It may not seem like that because we are interconnected. We are connected to information like no other time in our history. Mm -hmm. And so something happens in Sri Lanka, we hear about Mm -hmm. it, you know, in every possible media form, you know, a hundred times in one day. But the truth is we've gotten a lot safer. Now, I like to focus on, on, on war and violence and, and, and all, you know, all those uh, bright and shiny things because <laughs> because um, of the implications that, that those human behaviors have for human suffering. Mm. But that is not to say that that's all that we're about. You know, we, we also have uh, an evolved capacity for compassion uh, and, and uh, understanding and things of that nature. Mm. Well, one, one thing that gives me a little bit of of hope is that when when Trump uh, when Trump was elected, women began to gather and protest and form groups to um, fight back against that that kind of influence, that kind of egotism and and narcissism. That mm-hmm. and the Me Too movement, and also the fact that one of the best voting blocks in the U.S. has been that of black women. And they've banded together and been able to um, elect people, or at least try to elect people that have a more reasonable point of view. And I'm thinking that, uh, and uh, just recently they had the Women of Color um, uh, seminar in in Houston. Mm -hmm. And um, Kamala Harris has put more women of color on her Uh, on her team and the fact that women are beginning to come into their own more in terms of being able to express powerful ideas and begin to think of themselves as influencing elections perhaps that more cooperative spirit will help um, uh, eventually get rid of a little of that polarization because the more women are involved and the more women run perhaps as you were talking earlier mm-hmm. Hector you know that that influence will will be part of our, our better natures does that give you any any hope at all it does give me hope it does give me hope I you know I think what has to happen is to get get past the you know the male coalitions that seem to get each other's back and you know, only put forward highly redacted versions of the Mueller report, how, you know, <laughs> yeah. for example, yeah. uh, who make excuses for people like Brett Kavanaugh. I mean, males will cooperate to maintain their evolutionary advantage. They will cooperate to to maintain their advantage on the dominance hierarchy. Um, so, sure, I think I think we need we need we need. We need a balance. It's become incredibly unbalanced, and uh, I, I'm hoping I'm hoping that uh, whatever backlashes come out of the 2016 presidential elections will will continue to grow, so that we can big, build more humane and rational, equitable societies. So it's fair to say that as an evolutionary psychologist, you are hopeful that eventually we'll get out of this quote unquote cycle 
that our primitive brain seems to have us entrapped to into our in our political discourse anyway yeah i'm hopeful i i'm i'm cautiously hopeful you know <laughs> that is awesome it depends the you know what i what i do like what i what i what i have been just reflecting on more and more lately is is the the rise of this this rebel intellectualism that's happened through podcasts through social media to to spread ideas that other that normally we might not have access to because big you know media outlets they're controlled from the top there's there's billionaires who have a tremendous influence of over you know what the average citizen gets exposed to Rupert Murdoch (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) among others the so, book, so that that's that is a stunning, important and and uh, development. I think. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, the book is "Sex, Power, and Partisanship: How Evolutionary Science Makes Sense of Our Political Divide." Doctor Garcia, thank you so much for joining us today. I really, really appreciate that. If people want to find out more about your book and where they can get it, where can you reach you? Well, it's the the book is on Amazon. It's at some Barnes and Nobles, things like that. But but you can you can contact me hector garcia dot com. That's my website, and there's a means to contact me through my website. Fantastic, Doctor Garcia. Before I let you go, again, I have you say hi. This is Doctor Hector Garcia, and I took a left in the valley. <laughs> hi, this is Doctor Hector Garcia, and I took a left at the valley. Fantastic. And that was Dr. Hector Garcia. He's Such just, a good conversation. He's just great. Oh, Kenny and Dana, man. Just totally great. Oh, he is awesome. Absolutely yeah. awesome. Yeah. And uh, what a discussion. What a very apropos, touchy, taboo subject that everybody wants to talk about, but nobody really knows how. And he, his book is just fantastic about that. By the way, I highly, highly recommend the book. It's a great little book. And uh, you can find it just about anywhere yeah so I mean it get, gets down to, to you know when you extrapolate from all of that it, it really gets down to choice and free will when you realize how much of human nature is controlled by mm-hmm. our our primitive nature our primitive past and our primitive uh, way of looking at at life and looking at other people you know I've been thinking we get so many good authors yeah. And there's so many good books on this show. You ever thought that maybe what we should do is just buy a couple of the copies, and whenever we get like a Patreon or something like that, uh, we just send them a copy of a book or something? Sounds great. That'd be an interesting yeah, thing to be. do. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we might just do that. Mm-hmm. All right. So, in the meantime, blah, blah, blah. We do get great authors. Yeah. Great people as authors. So maybe put it that way. They're great people, and they're able to, to convey their their view in in a a way that really educates others absolutely well thank you so much for joining us on the show today and thank you ladies as usual and uh, thank you to Dr. Hector Garcia thank you for listening you can follow us at leftofthevalley.com you can follow us at at LATV podcast on Twitter on Facebook send us an email at uh, leftatvalley at outlook.com send your complaints to Nancy on the third floor but beware of the incoming bullets uh, give us a five star review where you find us it helps us and helps others find the show and you can also become a patron if you really like what we're doing uh, patron slash LATV alright coming up next week we our old Dr. Del Rey returns oh, oh yeah we love Dr. Del Rey and we're going to be talking about renegotiating your relationship 
Oh. After that, we'll have YouTuber Sarah Austin, transgender woman. That should be interesting. Nice. And uh, we'll have, after that, the week after that, David Fitzgerald returns. And he's going to be talking about Moses and the history city of Moses. And, of course, at the end of the month of May, we'll have Anthony Magnabasco come back to give us another example of the street epistemology, another lesson. Nice. In June, we'll have our favorite nuclear physicist, Dr. Ben Davis. And we'll also have Andrew Jasko and Rex from the uh, Rex Burks from the uh, uh, Skeptical Texans. Oh, mm-hmm. nice. So we're going to be talking about uh, cults. Oh, wow. And we'll have one of the Minnesota atheists, Hertzy Hertz, coming in. And our friend Linda Starr, the Satanist, wrote a book. And she's going to be coming as well to talk about nice. her book. <sighs> All right. Well, that takes that's us a, a little That's bit. a power lineup if I've ever heard one. <laughs> We always have we some really that, interesting... We do that, don't we? Yeah, we do that, we do that. I know, we're really lucky people come on and talk to us. <laughs> we just bug them? I meant that in a positive way, not, <laughs> that, not that, you know, we're... I, we, we should be grateful. We are grateful. We, we are, are. We're just... You know what? We're, you know, you're the one that books these people. We're, thank you. You know what? We're pointing out some quality interviews yeah. for free yeah. for people out there. So you know what? Just take it. That's right. Take it and love it. All right. Thank you so much, guys. Anything else you need to say? No, just uh, see you next a week. puppy if you feel sad. Sounds good. That's what I do. Uh, go watch that new uh, Avengers movie. Why not? Endgame. I'm not seeing it till next week. I'm so excited. <laughs> Until next time. Tell everybody I, I do it for free. I want I you know I don't care if if you can't afford like a like a, a speaker's fee or something as long as you can like as long as somebody can get my travel I'd go there and sleep on someone's couch. I'm I'm that committed to it. So you know always always down for that kind of thing. So especially if I can help. We'll have, we'll have you on Nancy's couch. Yeah. But she might molest you during the night. Oh my god. <laughs> He's a good looking guy. There's nothing like a grandma molester to really turn you on. <laughs> and if I was going to molest anybody, I'd probably guy. molest you because then you could explain it to me afterwards. And let me take a sec, don't mean to sound so hateful, but I swear to God, unintended, I find it disgraceful that many atheists are told to be quiet. You're not alone. Speak your mind, time to let it be known. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non believer, an infidel.